Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Um, we are back in First Peter chapter 4 this morning. If you've not been with us, we have been walking together faithfully through First Peter. Uh, several of you have been asking, are we going to ever get to Second Peter? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, we are eventually going to get there, but we're going to wrap up First Peter first. Uh, before we get there, and we got a couple more weeks of doing so before we get into Second Peter, but just know that the, the moving through the text is coming. Now, if you're finding yourself in First Peter chapter 4 this morning, we have already seen by this point, and we will see again today, that Peter is walking with the exiles and seeking to encourage the elect exiles in what it is that they are experiencing and what it is that they are going through, and also what is to come for them. Now, over the past several weeks, as we've, as we've walked through First Peter chapter 3 and in chapter 4, and even the latter parts of chapter chapter 2, we've already seen that Peter has called the church to prepare to suffer. He has called the church and the exiles to have the strength to suffer. And then a week ago, we talked about how Peter encouraged the believers on how they could now arm themselves for the suffering and the persecution that had come for them and also the suffering and the persecution that was coming for them. And so Peter this morning will really now give uh, what can best be described as a, a summary statement or a summation of all that he has written by calling the exiles to now see their purpose within the suffering. You see, the reality is all of us as Christians today have a purpose. I would imagine that many of us go through the normal routine of life. Many of us at some point in our lives have probably woken up, gotten ready, gone off to work or gone off to school to then come home. And if, you're, and if you have a home, you probably had yard work or housework that needed to be done. You had dinner that needed to be prepared. You had dishes that needed to be done at that point. And you began to question whether or not you should be doing dishes at all, but you do them nonetheless. And then ultimately, all this would culminate in you finally laying yourself down on your bed, on your pillow, and going to sleep, only to wait, realize that the next morning your alarm would go off and you would repeat what it was you did the day before. Now, I imagine at some point, as day after day after day after day, this routine began to play out in your life, you probably began to hear a still small voice asking yourself, What is the purpose of what I'm doing? I mean, why am I doing this day in and day out? Maybe, maybe it was on one of those drives into work as you're sitting in traffic or, or maybe one of those still small moments after a very chaotic day at work or a very stressful day at school. You may have took, taken a step back and said, wait a minute, what is the purpose of what it is that I am now doing? Well, Peter, in our text today, is going to write to the exiles, and he's going to tell them whether you know you have a purpose or not, whether you think you know what that purpose is or not, or whether you believe you have a purpose even at all, the ultimate purpose for every believer is to exist and to live in such a way that we glorify God in all things. You see, that's the ultimate purpose of every believer. It's that in all things, in everything that we do, whether in action or in word, our purpose, the reason why we exist, is to glorify God above all else. So whether it's in our work, we seek to glorify God. Whether it's in our schoolwork, we seek to glorify God. Whether it's in uh, other activities, whether it's with family time, whether it's in uh, serving our neighbors, serving our community, serving our church, serving on missions, all all that we do has a purpose, and that end purpose is to glorify God in all things. Now, Peter says that to the exiles this morning, and he says that we are now called to glorify God in all things because, according to the text, the end of all things is at hand. Notice that Peter this morning is reminding the exiles that the end is here. So with the time that we've now been given, with the gifts that we've been given by God, we now have a purpose that we've been called to by God. And that's for God to be glorified in all things. So Christian, I want to ask you this morning as we unpack this text together, I want, to, I want you to wrestle with this question this morning. Do you now see that you have been given a purpose? 
Do you see what that purpose is? You see, here's the truth for us this morning. All Christians are given a purpose. All Christians are given passions, given talents, given abilities. They're given gifts for the purpose of kingdom work. So whether it's through the local church or through being sent out to the nations, all of us have a purpose. So this morning, we're going to explore our purpose. We're going to then see gifts that we have been given, and ultimately, we're going to land at a point where we should ultimately conclude as believers that our purpose today is again to glorify God in all things. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7, and I'm going to ask you to stay seated right where you are, and we're going to read this together. And then at the end of the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. You say back to me, thanks be to God, and this is how I know that you're now listening, okay? If I don't get that response back from you, I'm going to read it again, and we're going to try it again to make sure we're all on the same page, okay? So let's try this together. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You guys are with me this morning. This is good. Well, if I could, I want to set the scene for you this morning. Now, Peter is literally making an easy transition here as he moves from writing about how all people will give an account of their lives. He wrote about this back in verses 5 and 6 to now writing about what's going to happen or what will happen within the end of all things. Now, one thing that we need to wrestle with as we look at our passage this morning is our passage is actually the conclusion of a very long section on Christian conduct that, uh, or Christian conduct that ultimately started back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, verse 11. So if you go back and read everything from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, I think we can give an easy summation of this particular section on Christian conduct. You see, Peter literally says, from that point in chapter 2 to where we are today in chapter 4, he says to the exiles three simple things. Abstain from evil, do good, and remember the last day. Now again, in saying this, Peter's goal was very simple. His goal was for God to be glorified in all things, meaning that we abstain from evil because we desire for God to be glorified. We do good, not for our own accolades, but so that God would be the one who is glorified. And we remember the last day, not because of the fear we have in it, but rather the hope that we have in the last day, because it's in the last day that God will be glorified. So notice this morning that when Peter speaks of God being glorified, he says that in our actions, in our worship, in our thoughts, in our words, it is God and God alone who deserves all the glory. That's why we say as a church, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Now, coming back to our text, Peter opens by saying, the end of all things is at hand. Now, when we begin to think of the end, we often think that it means the next day, or perhaps the next week, or the next weeks, or the next month, or even the next year. And what we think of is that sometime in the not-so-distant future, hopefully the near future, Jesus Christ will return. Now, when Peter made this statement, we have to ask ourselves, did Peter truly believe that the end was near in the same way that we now believe that the end was near. 
Now, some scholars would argue at this point that Peter actually believed that, that before his days were done, he would see the end of all things, that he would see Jesus Christ return. And so many scholars believe that here is an error within the Bible because Peter was clearly more than 2,000 years off, and that number continues to grow. But the problem with the text is this. That's not at all what Peter meant. In fact, that's not even what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the end in the same way we do. Rather, Peter knew that he had no idea when the end of days would come. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, at the moment of ascension, Jesus Christ, when questioned about his return and questioned about the restoration of the kingdom of God, said these words. He said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Notice that Peter is acknowledging what has already been said, which is this, he does not know. So, I believe that in this passage, when Peter is speaking of the end of days, Peter has less of a chronological meaning to the text, and rather more of a theological meaning to the text. Now, let me unpack what it is that I'm talking about. Peter, like us today, was living in a time where the world was growing darker. Peter, like us today, was living in a day and a time where the world was moving more and more into a space of ambiguity and more and more into a space of misery. So when Peter speaks of the end or the end of days, he's talking about the time that exists between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and the second coming. Now, we already know that Peter's talking about this because when you flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Jesus was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. You see, Peter acknowledges that we are now living in the final phase of God's plan of redemption. He knows that the next step is the return of Christ that will lead to sin and death being overthrown and Jesus Christ's new order being put into place. So for Peter, he understood that the day was near and could happen at any time during this last phase of God's plan for redemptive history. The best way I can Think of this for us, to put it in a, a modern parallels, it's if you've ever watched any Marvel movie, and if you watch through the credits, hoping to see that end scene, but instead of getting the end scene, you get the weird bells that signifies the end of a phase, that's literally what Peter's talking about. He's saying, look, we live in that moment. The credits are rolling, and at any point, this thing's going to come to an end, and Jesus Christ is going to return. That's the phase that we are now living in. Now, how long will that phase last? Only God, by his own authority, knows. But what we know is because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we now live in the last phase. The next thing for us to look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's hope. And that's what Peter knew. And so since we are now living in this last phase, since we are now living in these last days, knowing that God will be victorious because God is victorious, we now have to answer the question in the last days that we've been given. How can we glorify God in all things? Because that is our purpose. Well, Peter answers this question for us this morning today. So this morning, we're going to explore the question, how can we glorify God in all things? Four simple points that Peter gives us on how we can do that. We'll begin with point one. Verse seven, Peter says, our purpose is to glorify God in all things, and we glorify God in all things when we are self-controlled and sober-minded. Now again, notice in verse 7 that Peter starts with one of our favorite words here, the word therefore. Now Peter, in mentioning therefore here, is now teaching the exiles how to live in light of what it is that he's already written about, which is how to live in light of what Christ has done and how to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ will one day return. And so his very next words in verse 7 are this. He says, be self 
self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now notice that Peter opens with what seems to be a hendiadis, which is, which is literally an English term, if you will. So if you're an English major, you probably just heard a, a term that, that tickled your ears. If not, I just gave you a great Scrabble word. You should try to use it, okay? Now hendiadis literally means an expression of a single idea by two words. And so when you look at verse 7 and you see the word self-controlled and sober-minded, Peter is using two verbs to literally function as one. You see, self-controlled means to see things as they are and therefore act appropriately. This word self-controlled literally comes from the term that meant sober, or better yet, sober-minded. So here's what Peter is calling the church to do. Peter in this moment is calling the church to glorify God by being alert. When you are self-controlled and sober-minded, you are alert. He calls the church to be of sound mind and to be mentally disciplined. And notice that Peter doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just tell the church, hey, in order to glorify God, which is your purpose, you need to be mentally prepared for what it is that's coming. Peter now tells us how we can be mentally prepared. In the text, he says, for the sake of your prayers. You see, Peter says, in light of living in the last phase of this world, these last days, Peter says to the church, be mentally prepared, be alert, and do so by being a people who pray. Now again, we're not talking about some sort of generic prayers here. Rather, what we're talking about is is prayer that, that calls upon and submits to God in light of the reality that can be seen from His perspective. It's It's a submission in prayer that calls for God's guidance and not our own. It's a a submission to God through prayer that calls for the power of God in all situations versus the power of our own hands. Now again, the prayer that Peter is talking about is, is not the prayer that we pray over a meal. Now again, I'm not saying praying over your meal is a bad thing, but can I just dispel a rumor for a second? God will never turn that tater tot into a celery stick. Stop asking him to do that. It's a tater tot. That's how it goes down. Take on the calories, okay? Just savor the calories, all right? That's all I can tell you. It's not a carrot stick. It's a french fry. Savor the calories. Coming back to the text, when Peter speaks of prayer, he's speaking of a call to a sovereign God to make sure that in our last days, in this last phase of our lives that now our hearts are all of a sudden aligned with His, for His will, and for His glory. Because again, that is the purpose of every believer. So here Peter, when he says that we are now called to be watchful in the last days, not only watchful over ourselves, but watchful over the world as we continue to share the gospel. He says that we need to be be sober-minded, we need to be watchful in these last days and continue to pray, not only for the world and for the gospel to be proclaimed, but over ourselves as we continue to study the Word of God. And as we are watchful over the world, as we are watchful over ourselves, Peter says to us, begin first in prayer, making sure that your heart is aligned with that of God's. Now, if I could just take a tangent here and a footnote, I want you to understand that prayer can look like a variety of things. You can pray aloud, and that is okay. You can pray in your car, and that is okay. We would prefer you not do that with your head bowed and eyes closed. That is dangerous. Do not test God in that way. Okay? You can write out your prayers, and writing out your prayers on paper is okay, and reciting them from paper is okay. You see, I see too many people getting hung up on how it is that we should pray, and they say things like this. They say, written prayers are prayers that are not heartfelt. I just don't understand them. People have said this to me before. Other pastors have said this to me before. And I look at them and say, okay, can I just, can I follow your train of logic for just a moment? And they said, sure, please do. And I said, okay, if I apply that same logic to my sermon prep, 
then does that mean my notes that are, that are right here for you to see, my notes mean that I'm not preaching a heartfelt message? Or better yet, if the statement is true that written prayers are not heartfelt, then, then can I ask you this question? Why do we keep prayer journals? Why do we write down things for the purpose of prayer? Why do we, why do we take notes in sermons? Hint, hint. Does it mean they're not heartfelt when we write them down? That's not true at all. Write your prayers out. That's totally fine. If you don't know how to, how to say it, just write it. It's okay. If you don't know what to pray, turn to Scripture and see how the Lord prays. Pray the way the Lord prays. Pray Scripture back over your life. There's a multitude of ways to do this. None of us should be embarrassed by it or ashamed of it. But notice what Peter comes back to in the text. Peter calls the exiles to be a people of prayer. Which as Christians today, this is exactly what we are called to be. A people who pray. We are called to pray for ourselves and our family. We are called to be a people who pray for one another. We are called to be a people who pray for lost souls who live around us. We are called to be a people who pray the word back over our lives and the word over the lives of others. We are a people who are called to pray for the gospel to be seen and heard to a community that desperately needs it. We are called to be able to pray things that that only God himself can answer. And so Christian, if we truly seek to glorify God in all things, which is our purpose, then let's first begin by being a people who pray. Whether in our silent moments, in our homes, individually, or over our families, or whether with the gathered body of believers, let us be a people who pray. Why? Because prayer aligns our hearts to that of Jesus Christ. Prayer allows us to be watchful. Prayer allows us to be disciplined and prepared in what is to come according to the word. And prayer reminds us that God and God alone deserves the glory in all things and not ourselves. This leads to to Peter's second point in how we are called to glorify God. So first he said this, he said, be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, be alert, be watchful. And how do we do that? We do that through prayer. Secondly, in verse eight, he says this, he says, love one another. Now pay attention to what Peter is doing here because in calling the church to to glorify God, Peter's now going to move with what really begins within us individually, which is prayer, to now expanding that circle of glory to a more public forum. Notice what Peter says in verse 8. We'll read it together. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if, if I had this on the board, what I would tell you to do in your Bible is take the word and in verse 8, circle it and draw a line back to the word and in, or the word all, excuse me, not and, the word all in verse 7, when he says in, in the end of all things. Now here is Peter's point in linking the word all together. He says that even though the end of all things is coming, he says to us, Christian, don't get caught up just looking for the end and thus hiding in your homes, hoping for the end. No. See that in light of the end of things, that we still have a high calling to fulfill. That's why he says, above all. That high calling is then followed by these words, keep loving one another earnestly, and I would underline and circle the word earnestly. Now, yes, as a Christian, we have a responsibility to love everyone, which also includes those that we disagree with. However, I think in our text this morning, what Peter had in mind was actually more in line with what we see in Christian community. You see, as a Christian community in seeking to love one another, Peter says that we are not just to love one another, but rather we are to love one another earnestly. In other words, with a sincere and intense conviction. In other words, as Christians living in community together, we are called to love one another with deep conviction, not some sort of flippant bro hug kind of thing that you see at the end of Top Gun where they're beating each other on the back of the chest and just saying, yo, I love you, bro. That's not what we're talking about here. 
We're not talking about that type of love that you see on the last night of Christian camp when when everybody's singing a song about Jesus and they're crying and, and the snot is flowing and everybody's hugging each other and the reality is you're just wiping each other's snot on each other's shirts. We're not talking about that kind of love. No, what Peter is talking about here is, is, is the type of love where we say, look, we are a family together. Now, you may not like your family right now, and if that's you, then just kind of put that aside. We're not talking about that family. We're talking about loving each other as if we were family, meaning this, that we would do everything we can to help one another out. That as Christians, a part of the family of God, seeking to love one another earnestly, we seek to find ways to encourage one another. We seek to find ways to to lift one another up. We seek to find ways to help one another out. And I'll take it a step further. As Christians living in family together, excuse me, we seek to ask for help when we need help. So why should we love in this way? Peter says it in the very next phrase. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now again, when Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, this does not mean that we get to cover up someone's sins like we sweep dirt or food under a rug. Okay, so don't think of it this way. Don't think of it as if you have family coming over and all of a sudden you realize you got a clean house. So what do you do? You take all the junk in your room and you throw it in your closet and shut the door because you hope they won't look in the closet. Okay, let me tell you what happens with our sin when we do that. We may throw our sin in a closet, but one day you're going to open the door and guess what's waiting on you? Your sin. You may be able to sweep your sin under the rug and people may not be able to see it, but one day guess what's going to happen? They're going to notice the lump in the floor and it's still your sin because it hasn't gone anywhere. You see, when Peter's talking about covering a multitude of sins, he's not simply saying to sweep it under the rug. Rather, what he's teaching is this. He says, listen, we cover sins. We cover a multitude of sins when we forgive people of their sins and they willingly forgive us of our sins as well. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, we learn from that proverb, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You see, for Christians seeking to live in Christian community, we have to realize that forgiveness is a vital part to the perseverance of the Christian community. You see, Peter understood that as a church, as as elect exiles, we are still a society of sinners. But we're not just a society of sinners anymore. We're a society of sinners who have been redeemed by grace. And the reality is, if we were to be honest with ourselves in this room, not one of us today in this room is perfect. We are all messy people. I mean, maybe we should just look at our neighbors for a second and just free them of of this pain and suffering they're feeling and look at them and say, you are not perfect. Don't do that. Some of y'all just looked at your spouses. That's the wrong way to go, guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. You see, the reality is we are messy people. And sometimes, whether we know it or not, our actions and our words will hurt others. Sometimes we know it, and it's intentional. That's sin. Sometimes we don't. We do it unwillingly. But it's still sin, whether we know it or not. I've heard people say in this community, when I've asked them about where they go to church and they tell me they don't go anywhere and I ask them why, they say things like this, well, I'm not going to go to church. And I'm like, well, why not? And they say, well, I won't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Do you know what I like to say to that? Yes and amen. You were right about that. You actually nailed it. Thank you for acknowledging what it is that we already know to be true about ourselves. The difference is this. We know that we are hypocrites. We know that we are sinners. But we also know that we need grace. We know that we need forgiveness. We know that we've been forgiven because of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. And at the same time, as Christians, we need to be able to extend that same forgiveness to one another and not cancel one another out. You see, here's the problem with our society today. There is no room for cancel culture in Christian culture. There's no place for it. 
You won't find that in the Bible whatsoever. And yet, sadly, churches all around us continue to split over the lack of grace and the lack of forgiveness that is found from within the church. In fact, here's a reality that we need to accept today. Church splits. Church division reveals the evil effects of what happens to a place when grace is missing from that church. So let me say to you this morning, if you know someone who's talking a lot of nonsense about their church, Maybe they're talking a lot of nonsense and hurtful things about their church or, or they're talking a lot of nonsense and, and hurtful things about their pastor, whether or not they were hurt intentionally or whether or not they were the ones who did the hurting. Either way, stop for a moment and ask them this question. Say to them, hey, friend, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Because if you did, I think you would seek to show some charity here. I think you would seek to, to show some grace here. I think, you, I, I think if you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you would seek to show some forgiveness in this situation. So my question for you is this. Why do you, why do you keep a record of wrongs? Aren't we told we're not supposed to do that? And then they'll say to you, well, I don't see that in the Bible. Then ask them to do this. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and just memorize the whole thing. Just memorize it. Read it to yourself. And then read it again later. And then read it again tomorrow and then read it again later, and then read it again the next day, until you get this right. You see, if we hope for strong Christian community, then we must extend to one another the same grace that Jesus Christ showed us at the cross. Now, Paul faced this same issue with the church at Ephesus. Now, I don't know how you view the Bible, but can I just kind of let you in on, on insight on how I view the Bible? I try to, I like to read books in the Bible, but then I like to read what's happening during that time, around that time, what's going on culturally, what's going on in society, so I can kind of get a better understanding of why Peter wrote the way he did, why Paul wrote the way he did, what was going on around Jesus Christ at the time that he was living during the Gospels. I just love this kind of stuff, okay? Um, if you've been with us in um, morning discipleship, you guys just finished up Ecclesiastes, right? And so you just kind of moved on from there. I think you started Hebrews today. Is that right? Okay, good. I'm looking at Corey because I know you taught today, right, Corey? Bang up job, dude. Uh, but anyway, I love the fact we got another pastor who faithfully teaches. Anyway, what I love about Ecclesiastes is when I envision Ecclesiastes, I envision it kind of the way I grew up, which is kind of sitting on the front steps of a front porch with your grandfather sitting in a rocking chair and imparting to you all this wisdom. Like that's literally how I view Ecclesiastes, right? So when I think about Paul during his, his time in Ephesus, but then also when he wrote to Ephesus, when I imagine Ephesus and what I've read about Ephesus, I literally read about it in the same way I view, uh, again, I'm going to use a movie reference here. If you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, Tortuga, where everybody's lying to one another, everybody's fighting, everybody's drinking, everybody's doing things they shouldn't be doing, and they're all fighting. That's literally how I envision Ephesus. And the funny part is I envision the church that way too. I imagine people woke up for worship and they said, wait, we got to get ready for worship. So, so throw on your clothes, get your knives, get your gloves. We're going to war. And then they went to church. And they weren't just warring with the community. They were warring within themselves. It's like they showed up and all of a sudden they sang a few songs together. They prayed together. And then instead of getting a sermon, the pastor stood up and said, game on. And they started beating each other to death. That's kind of how I imagine Ephesus, right? Now look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, be kind to one another. The opposite of what they were doing. Be tender-hearted. The opposite of what their community was doing. Took it a step further and he said, forgiving one another. Why? Or how? As God in Christ forgave you. He called them to do the exact opposite of what they'd been doing, which was fighting. And here, coming back to our text today, Peter says the same thing to us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. You see, Christian, when it comes to loving one another earnestly, we have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to show grace. However, this is not a call to simply lay down and, and be a doormat for people to walk over us. But rather, it's a call to love, which means... Out of love and grace, we willingly call out sin. 
out of love and grace, we, we willingly call for repentance, not only in the lives of those around us, but repentance within our own lives as well. And at the same time, we seek to do good to others, which means that we forgive them of their sins. We show them charity. We show them grace. And then we move forward together in Christian community, seeking to love one another day after day after day. So Christian, I got to ask you this morning, man, how are we doing at loving one another? Are we willingly forgiving one another or do we willingly approach each other with a clenched fist holding something against our brothers and sisters in Christ? This leads to Peter's third point. So he's told us, you want to glorify God, which is your purpose, be sober-minded and self-controlled. Secondly, you need to love one another earnestly. Thirdly, he says this. He says this, verse 9, show hospitality. Did y'all just hear that? Show hospitality. Notice what just happened in this room. All of the introverts in this room just passed out. Every one of them. I saw it. Deflated. Well, stay with me, guys, for a second. My extroverts, my introverts, wherever you fall, stay with me for a second. And let me explain this passage before you panic, okay? The text says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice that now Peter is building off his call to love one another, and he now calls people to practice love by showing hospitality. Here is a clear call to care for one another and to care for strangers who are a part of the same Christian mission that we are now a part of. Peter says this to the believers. Open your homes. Open your, your lives. Care for one another. Serve those within our community. And at the same time, serve those who are faithfully on mission. And not so that we receive the glory and accolade, but rather for God to be glorified. In fact, in 3 John verse 8, we see the call to support our missionaries. Because when we do, it says in 3 John verse 8 that we become fellow workers for the truth. So let's not neglect serving one another, especially when it comes to serving our missionaries, because they need our support. This is why here at Southside, we've kind of been on this long track of planning for missions. Let me tell you why. Reason number one is because we are here for a reason. God has given us a purpose for the reason why we are here in the Tampa area, and it's to glorify God right where he has called us. So your work is a mission field. Your home is a mission field. Your neighborhood is a mission field. The community that we live around is our mission field. And guess what? We have work to do. We have work to do. But not only that, not only that, when it comes to, to planning missions, what we're looking for as a church is we're looking for church planters. We're looking for church missionaries that we can partner with around the United States and around the world because we see the mission not as a sprint that ends quickly, but rather as a long-distance marathon. We want to partner with missionaries and church planters for years to come until they get to a point where they are healthy and they no longer need the help nor the support. You see, that's how we need to view missions. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But we're still called to run. Moving on in the text from there, Peter says this, that we are to show hospitality to one another, and then our favorite phrase, which is without grumbling. Peter now recognizes this. Serving and practicing hospitality can and will become a burden. It will, and it can. It can wear us out to constantly open our homes. It can wear us out to constantly open our lives to other people. And so Peter reminds the church, listen, we need to serve and we need to host and we need to do so with joy and we need to do so with humility because of our call to care for one another. Christians, do we see today that God is glorified when we put our love into practice by opening our homes and opening our lives so that we can care for one another as a faith family should? You see, we should see our service, we should see our care not as a burden, but as a way to, to joyfully and humbly not only serve our local community, but joyfully give glory to God. 
And so I ask you this morning, are we opening our homes and our lives to true, genuine fellowship? Are we opening our homes today so that we can complain about what's going on? Are we opening our homes so that we can brag about who we are and what it is that we've done? Or are we hosting to simply show that we truly care for one another? Are we opening our hearts so that we can show not only how much we care for one another, but how much we want you to know that we care about you? And we want you to see how much we care for our passion and love for God. How are we showing hospitality without grumbling? This leads to what I believe is Peter's fourth and final point of our text today in how to live out our purpose, which is to glorify God. Now, again, to remind you, it started internally with prayer, being watchful, being self-controlled and sober-minded. Secondly, we saw that there was a clear call to love one another, and not just I love you, man, but to love one another with conviction. Thirdly, we see there's a clear call to show and practice hospitality. In our fourth and final point, we find in verse 10 and 11, and Peter says this, that if you want to glorify God, then steward the gifts that you've been given by God well. Steward your gifts well. Notice here that Peter comes back to to speaking to every Christian about the gifts that God has now given to them and how we are now called to use those gifts for the glory of God. Look with me in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Notice that Peter is stating here that we are called to serve others because of the gifts that we've been given ultimately belong to God. They are not ours and ours alone. We have been given these gifts, and we've been given these gifts by God for His glory and not the other way around. But then Peter takes it one step further when he teaches us about God's varied grace. And I think there's two points that we need to pick up on when it comes to God's varied grace. First, in speaking of God's varied grace, Peter's teaching us that God gives gifts both widely and freely as he sees fit. Secondly, we learn from God's varied grace that God now gives gifts apart from human merit. Do you see what God's doing within our own lives? God's not looking at Jonathan Smith and going, man, this dude's funny. I'm going to give him hospitality. He didn't do that. He didn't look at Daniel Simpson and all of a sudden say, that fellow looks good. I'm going to give him the gift of teaching. It's not how that worked. God didn't look around this room and and all of a sudden say, man, this person can do this, so I'm going to give them this gift. That's not how it worked at all. No, God gives his gifts freely. God gives his gifts widely, and he gives them apart from our human merit. Here's Peter's point. That through God's varied grace, God can use whomever, whenever, and however he sees fit for God and God alone to be glorified. You see, when we received gifts from God, these gifts were never simply ours to begin with. They still belong to God. So we are simply stewards, according to what Peter says, stewards of what the Lord has chosen to now bless us with. So Peter's literally teaching the exiles Every gift, when rightly exercised, should point people to God's grace. Now again, when Peter says this, he does not mean the saving grace, for we are not the ones who do the saving. That is what God does. Rather, what he means is as bearers or stewards of God's gifts, we are also stewards of the grace of God. That's why Peter calls the church to continue to show hospitality and love one another earnestly and practice that grace towards one another, which is what he just spoke about in verse 8 and 9. You see, verse 10 is us putting into practice what God has given to us when we are practicing what he said to do in verse 8 and 9. Let me unpack that. God is the one who calls. And he's also the same God who equips. Do you hear that? God is the one who calls. He is the same God who also equips. It is God who equips the called. Look at me, look with me in verse 11. 
Verse 11, Peter continues, and whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now here Peter shifts his focus, I think, to the two main offices of the local church, which is that of the elder and that of the deacon. Now as a reminder, Peter's teaching, elders teach and lead the teaching ministry of the church. Deacons lead the ministry of deeds, and therefore they serve the local church. Now, before we read this and now conclude that only our elders and deacons should be the ones serving the church, I want to remind you to go back in time when we walked through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus together, especially when we talked about the qualifications and the characteristics of a deacon and elder. And remember that we talked about how those qualities that were mentioned reveal not only the qualities for an elder and a deacon, but they also reveal the marks of a maturing Christian. Thus, all of us should be willing to serve. So coming back to our text here in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is now giving to the exiles the importance of the preached word. He's giving to them the importance of serving together. You see, this is good for us because we now live in a day and a time where worship is now boiled down to a show that happens on Sunday morning followed by a feel-good message about how you're just simply a good person who happens to serve a good God who just wants to do everything for your good. But for Peter, Peter believed this. No, if we're going to preach the Word of God, then let's preach the full Word of God. And so when it comes to worship as believers... Our priority should be in worship the preached Word of God. This, listen, this is why at our church we spend so much time teaching the Word of God. <coughs> Excuse me. This is why we have AM discipleship where we teach the Word of God. This is why when you come into worship and you sing, guess what we're singing? The Word of God. This is why we have scripture reading, so we can hear the word of God spoken over us. This is why the elders come forward and pray. They're praying the word of God back over the people of God. In fact, John Calvin said it this way. He said, when a man has climbed up into the pulpit, it is so that God may, be, may speak to us by the mouth of a man. Now again, before we lose it here on John Calvin and accuse him of saying, so you are telling us that when you speak, you are now God, that is not at all what John Calvin's talking about. Now you see, John Calvin understood that, that pastors are humans too. Man, we're not perfect. Pastors are, we're, man, we're fallible. Okay, can I just dispel a rumor for you about pastors that I've heard and people legitimately believe this? Pastors on a Sunday, when we get done preaching, when I get done preaching, I now do not get to go home and sit locked away in my home for the rest of the week with my family meditating on some Gregorian chants. That's not what we do. We don't just sit by candlelight and acapella sing worship to one another 24-7 all week. That's not what happens in my home. If you've ever been in my home, you know that's not true. We don't do that, okay? I'm confident that's probably not what happens in Corey's home. In fact, I've, I've been to his home, checked on that. He doesn't do that. He does other fun things. You can ask him about it later, especially when it comes to the garden. Here's Calvin's point. If a pastor is worth his weight in gold, then he has studied the Word of God. He has a theological brain, which means that when he preaches, it's the Word of God that's being taught. And through the Word of God, you are hearing God speak and not that of a man. Do you see that? As a church, we should hunger and desire to see Jesus Christ proclaimed through His Word. Next in the text, we see that Peter also mentions those who serve. Now, as Christians, we are called to now use our gifts to serve both in mission but also through the local church. We see a clear call to give to the poor and the needy through the word. We see a call to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to, to visit the, the sick, to care for the orphaned and the widowed. Now, some of our gifts that God has given us compels us to do this, while, while others have the gifts to organize so that others can then go and be sent out. What matters is this. When we speak and when we act, we need to realize that we are called to be focused on God, who is the source of our strength and thus the giver of our good gifts. 
You see, a healthy church is one that will do good and then praise God for what it is that He has accomplished through the work that is being done. So Christian, this morning, let's recognize that all of us have been given gifts to steward well for the glory of God. Look, here's the reality. We may not all sing the same note, and that's okay. Because God created us for harmony. So can I encourage you to continue to seek out your passion? Continue to seek out your gifts. Seek out what it is that you're called to. And when you find it, use it for the glory of God. And so i got to ask you this morning, man, how are, you, how are you using your passions? How are you using your gifts and your opportunities that God has given you to glorify Him? In teaching, how are you teaching with the purpose of glorifying God? In service, how are you serving for the purpose of glorifying God? In opening your homes and opening your doors, how are you opening your life up for the purpose of glorifying God? You see, all Christians have a purpose. And it's to glorify God. It's to glorify Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. And when we are self-controlled and sober-minded, when we love one another, when we show hospitality, when we steward the gifts that we've been given, then we can now know that it is God who is being glorified in our lives that He has now called us to. I want to leave you with a quote from a great theologian, Frederick Buchner, who said this. He said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So I want to ask you this morning, where has God called you? How are you seeking to glorify God in where it is that He currently has you? You see, when we begin to see that we are called to serve others, we will continue to draw closer to the character, the plan, and the nature of God, which means we are drawing closer to glorifying Him more and more. So can I encourage you, in hard days, be watchful in prayer. In trials, open your homes and your heart. In heartaches, continue to love and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And continue to steward the gifts that God has given you well, recognizing that all that we have is because of God. All that we have is from God. I want to tell you, when you begin to do these things, like Peter will tell us, we'll realize that service is no longer a burden. When we begin to do these things and seeking to glorify God, we begin to open our homes and realize that opening our home is no longer painful. When we begin to love earnestly for the purpose of glorifying God, we'll quickly realize that forgiving someone actually hurts less. So in those moments, as we continue to glorify God, we'll realize it's not about us. It's never been about us. And it's in those moments that we'll continue to look up, praise God, and glorify Him in all things. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Let's pray together.